All right, well, yeah, thanks for the introduction, Nicholas. Uh, as Nicholas said, my name is Randy Givens, head of Maritime Shipping Equity Research at Jefferies. So on today's star-studded panel, uh, we have four crew taker owners and one industry expert here, uh, ready, willing, and able to talk about one of the most necessary and exciting industries in the world, crude oil shipping. So on the panel today, uh, we have Lois Abraki, uh, CEO of International Seaways. I think we will have Bob Burke, CEO of Ridgebury Tankers. Harris Cosmatos, Head of Strategy and Business Development at Chacos Energy Navigation, and Evan Sproviro, Head of Projects at GMS Incorporated. So uh, we'll start the panel with a little bit of background information, then we'll touch on some of the industry drivers, um, each company's strategy, and then chat about something you may have heard of by now, IMO 2020. So uh, with that, before we discuss the outlook uh, for crude tankers, I think it'd be beneficial to talk about where we've been over the last two years. So in 4Q16, large crude tanker rates averaged $60,000 a day, in 2Q18, fell to $8,000 a day. So Lois, if you could start us off here, uh, what were some of the specific reasons that caused this sharp drop um, in rates over that, those 18 months? Um, you know, I, I would say it's a combination of, um, you know, when bunker, when oil prices, and consequently bunker prices, but largely oil prices fell dramatically in 2013-14, you know, you really saw every, you know, demand spike and we had a nice cycle and during that time, everybody ordered, right? So, you know, then we had to um, wear off that order book that then delivered, but it was also combined with, you know, we've also had what I call the, um, you know, uh, hangover of bringing down those inventories. And, you know, really this very low market has been a part of burning off those inventories that were in storage. Sure. Now in recent, re uh, recent weeks, rates have basically doubled, you know, VLCCs, 35, 40,000 mm -hmm, a day, mm -hmm. Suez Max is above 20,000 a day. Um, so Bob, uh, what are some of those demand drivers over the last few weeks and is this rally sustainable? Um, I think like Lois said, a lot of the um, inventory has been, been drawn off. It seems to be a lot of pull forward. People worried about more expensive oil, uh, China embargoes, um, you know, China tariffs and Iranian embargoes that have pulled it forward a little bit. Uh, is this sustainable? Um, I don't trade ships every day, but the guys that do tell me it, it seems to have legs. They've been telling me that it's coming for the past three or four weeks, and uh, this time they were right. Okay. So you kind of touched on it there. Several policy changes made in the last few months that will definitely impact uh, crew tanker shipping. So starting with OPEC and its partners, Saudi Arabia um, plans to increase production. They're at 10.7 million barrels a day in October, planning to get to maybe 11 plus uh, by December. Um, so Harris, um, where do you expect these incremental Saudi barrels to go? And do you think their production will remain at 11 plus million barrels a day in 2019? Does this work? Sounds good. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, we do expect uh, uh, Saudi to uh, uh, to cover the lost barrels that uh, Iran will uh, that, that that will come out from uh, the potential Iranian sanc uh, sanctions. Uh, yes, I think the, the the Saudis do have the capacity to go, you know, to uh, uh, to over 11, uh, possibly 12 uh, uh, 12 uh, million barrels uh, per day. Uh, most of that will go uh, eastwards, uh, the Asian, uh, the Asian markets. Uh, we have seen some withdrawal, and potentially India with, with some withdrawals from uh, these uh, this markets in view of the upcoming uh, sanctions. Uh, so they will find a home into these uh, places. In terms of ton mile demands, it will be kind of neutral because it's more or less the same distance. Uh, but obviously. Uh, the, this incremental demand uh, from the Far Eastern uh, importers, China included, 
uh, will uh, uh, will be uh, uh, filled by U.S. oil exports. So I would expect both this, both uh, the Saudi Arabia and uh, and the U.S. oil imports to uh, uh, to maintain and increase uh, the uh, uh, the supply of oil in view of uh, the Iranian sanctions coming into place in November. Lois, if you can add a little more color on specifically the Iranian sanctions uh, by the U.S. and how that has impacted and maybe some pulling forward of demand, as Bob mentioned, or how will it impact the markets in the coming quarters? It's interesting, um, you know, from, from what we read, the fields are still producing, but exports in, in Iran have gone down. Um, so you've maybe gone down from 1.7 million barrels a day to, to approaching a million barrels a day. So you're seeing an impact ahead of the actual um, sanctions in November themselves. Um, I, you know, I, I think it's interesting um, as far as uh, the Iranian tanker fleet. You know, they have a, a very healthy number, more than three dozen VLCCs. So now you're starting to see where some of the um, transponders are being turned off. I think that's simply um, because you're starting to see them storing on some of their Vs. Not that it's a, it's not a contangle market, but um, before they shut their fields in, I think they'll um, store barrels on some of those VLCCs. That's good for us. That takes tankers out of the market. So um, we like to see that. Bob, looking at U.S.-China relations, um, you know, China has not imported apparently a, a barrel of oil in the last six mm -hmm. weeks or so. So how has that kind of impacted the tanker markets and where do you see that going forward? Well, it's hard to sort that out because the market's been going up even though China hasn't been importing any oil. So it's, you know, the, the challenge of the market, of course, is there are so many moving parts, whether it's the Iranian ships all of a sudden in storage, um, you know, the, the effect of 30 odd ships being scrapped. Um, or China stopping their their intake, it's it's hard to sort through. I mean, in, in isolation, it should have been bad for the market, but I guess the other positive factors have, have outweighed that. It's hmm. fair. Harris, of those demand drivers for 2019, what is the um, most at risk for growth? Is it U.S. exports? Is it you know inventories getting further destocked? Um, OPEC not being able to produce as much as they think? Uh, no, I think the, uh, everything seems to be falling in place uh, in terms of, uh, of uh, demand. The demand is there, the demand is healthy. Uh, the IEA is projecting 1.4, 1.5 uh, million barrels uh, per day for the next uh, year or two. Uh, we will be reaching or uh, going above the 100 million barrels uh, of oil, historical kind of, of, of level by you know, next year. Uh, so the demand is there. The demand was always there. It, it, it wasn't an issue when the tanker markets uh, suffered. It wasn't an issue of demand. It was an issue of supply. Uh, so we have uh, uh, healthy demand. I don't think the Chinese will eventually uh, um, uh, put any, uh, any material, any tariffs on, on the U.S. Air, uh, uh, imports. They need that oil. Uh, so there is no point just to uh, play, you know, play tough to, to uh, uh, to, to create uh, problems with their economy and, and their consumption. We could be seeing you know, some fluctuations in, uh, in their demand, as we have seen recently, but eventually, I think for the long run, uh, they will be there importing uh, US, uh, US crude. Uh, India is uh, not far behind. The India has uh, almost tripled their uh, imports from, uh, from the US in the recent past, from 100,000 uh, 100, barrels a day uh, over to 300,000 uh, barrels a day. Uh, uh, recently, and we see this trend developing. 
the U.S. exports are here to stay. They are uh, on an increase. Uh, the average for this year is 1.8 million barrels uh, compared to the 500,000 barrels when the sanctions were lifted. So you can see uh, how the, traject the trajectory is developing. And there are many commentators that are thinking or, uh, or, or talking about 5 million barrels once the whole infrastructure uh, of the export terminals uh, 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 falls into place. So things seem to be uh, uh, falling into, uh, in, in, into place, and we are at an inflection point where the markets, because of the equilibrium in uh, supply and demand, uh, that the markets will, uh, will uh, take off. Yeah, and we're seeing glimpses of that. It's really a matter of, of, of demand. I mean, demand is pretty steady, 1.3, 1.5, 1.6. I mean, it was only in 08 where the demand really surprised everyone to the downside. And it's really a matter of unexpected supply. We all know how many ships are out there and how many are coming. I mean, the scrapping surprise was a bit of a surprise this year. I think it's more a matter of um, unexpected contango, backwardation, stocking, destocking, uh, political actions, uh, change in you know, trade routes like uh, you know, the U.S. suddenly not importing from West Africa that, that changes things dramatically. So we can all plot out what the demand is reasonably well and what the supply is going to be reasonably well. It's the unexpected uh, other geo. And the supply, you know, as, as Bob says, you know, it's more or less, you know, there are so many vessels around. And, uh, and uh, uh, we have seen limited uh, new building activity. And, uh, you know, once you place an order, and some people freak out when somebody places an order or a VLCC and, or, you know, Swiss Max, in the end of the day, it takes two years to deliver. Hmm. And within these two years, we're going to have the departure of the older tonnage that nobody really focuses on. That today, 20% of the fleet, double of what the order book is today, uh, the global order book is at probably under 10%, both crude and, uh, and, uh, and uh, products. Vessels over 15 years are double that. Uh, eventually, by the time the order book delivers over the next two to three years, these vessels will, uh, will uh, depart the competitive fleet. So if, if effectively, it will create a void. We could be seeing negative growth in, uh, in VLs, uh, even Suez Maxes, uh, and imagine what that will do to rates in, uh, in, uh, in a high oil demand environment. We are uh, about, you know, as I'm saying, we're on the runway about to take off. Okay. Very positive. Yeah, before switching gears to supply, uh, just looking at your respective fleets, uh, in recent years, tanker owners have kind of either focused on the larger tonnage, smaller tonnage, or just a certain sector. Uh, but all three of you have large tonnage, small tonnage, um, refined products carriers. So what are some of the, some, of the, uh, some of the pros and cons to that fleet diversification and even commodity diversification? So any of you want to talk about the benefits there of having crew tankers, product tankers, large tankers, small tankers? Uh, I'll start since we have everything of the above. <laughs> we have every vessel in, uh, in, uh, in, in any category available, plus we have expanded into the specialized the sectors like the LNG and shuttle tankers. The benefits, obviously, you get uh, both economies of scale in terms of uh, operating uh, you know, large sister vessels, so you get uh, reductions in, uh, when it comes to spares, lubricants, and, uh, and what have you, and that translates to lower operating expenses, and by default, and by extension, a lower break-even, which allows you to operate profitably, or if not profitably, not losing any money in a downturn. Uh, on the other hand, uh, you know, we are getting the benefit of, of uh, different market dynamics, uh, as in our case, uh, when the dry bar the, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the crude market uh, was suffering, uh, we were compensated uh, by uh, uh, the very healthy revenues that, uh, uh, that our shuttle tankers, for example, were making. 
So in the end, uh, it, it was kind of, uh, uh, it was a balancing, uh, it, it, it balanced the, the income of the company. So that's the benefit that you get, uh, kind of different dynamics. Uh, on on uh, the downside of that, uh, uh, you don't get 100% of the upside in a spike, in a short-term spike, uh, because of this diversity. But in the end of the day, we as a company, the philosophy of the company and, and the way the company has grown, it's not to play the short-term volatility. We're not a financial engineer company. We're a company catered to the needs of our big oil majors, and hence the diversity. It's not, for example, that we wanted to build nine Aframaxes for Statoil. It was Statoil that came to us and wanted nine Aframaxes. If the, if the request for, was for VLs, we would have built VLs or Swiss Maxes or whatever vessel they wanted. So uh, in a way, uh, the company uh, has this diversified element because it, it was, in, in a way, as a requirement of, or as a result of our client's requirements. It's interesting. I think um, what Harry's talking about is, uh, you know, really, like when you look at a fleet like for international seaways, we actually have uh, joint ventures in LNG as well in as, as in FSO. And the way that we think about it is fixed income versus the fleet that is on the spot market. So when you're talking about diversification, you're looking at, you know, is it products or is it crude? But what you're really talking about, and I think it's important in the way we're running, um, you know, our companies respectively, is that, you know, you have a fixed element and then you have a spot element. Mm -hmm. But as far as having uh, product carriers and crude under the same house, I think one of the strengths is everybody said the product carrier market was gonna come two years ago, 18 months ago, mm -hmm. um, and, I think that the markets between products and crude are very linked. You know, it comes down to demand, it comes down to refinery margins, and um, it's rare you'll see them very off kilter for more than um, six to 12 months. So they're quite linked and, you know, you're moving the same, you're moving oil, um, either refined or, or raw. So um, I think it's not really, in my mind, completely separate, but you have exposure across the space and you're not just limited to one of the sectors. Uh, for me, diversification is tankers or Apple stock. You know, having different type of tankers isn't really that much of a diversification program. Um, but we are, we're, you know, we're not a public company, and what we have is discrete investments at certain points of time in certain sectors. And we try to look at certain sectors when they think a certain age profile in that sector is undervalued, and we can see some sort of event in the near midterm future that might transform that dynamic and give us outsized returns on those discrete assets. So it happens that we, we are diversified. We have Vs. We used to have a couple of Suez's, I mean, a couple of AFRs. Um, so we have Vs, Suez's, and MRs, and each were bought, purchased for a different uh, investment thesis at a different point in time. And uh, we have uh, several different investors, some of whom cross over to different asset classes, but that's just by chance. So we, we don't have a diversification strategy. All right. Lois, International Seaways in the process of a fleet renewal program, uh, selling your older vessels, purchasing newer ones, as seen with the recent acquisition of the six VOCCs. So why do you feel this is important, and is your growth strategy going forward additional second-hand acquisitions or thoughts on new buildings? Yeah, you know, everything that we've done has been secondhand. You know, it's been very important for us to uh, not have uh, unfunded CapEx on the horizon two years out. Uh, we also thought that it was really important to um, invest during the downturn of the cycle, and, and we've done that, in, you know, very significantly, $600 million over the last 18 months. 
Um, so for us, you know, we, we're essentially at a leverage where we feel um, is appropriate for where we are in the cycle. And, you know, as the market moves into, um, you know, more positive place, uh, you, you know, we, you know, want to wait right now and see that manifest and really just run a good shipping company in the meantime. Bob Ridgebury, relatively old fleet with only one vessel built after 2009. Uh, seven of your VLCCs are between 16 and 18 years old. So what are, your, what are your plans for these vessels? You plan on operating them for a few more years? Um, and then how competitive are the rates those vessels are earning versus a five-year-old VLCC that we see at 35,000 a day? I mean, I mean, we run our, like I said, we look for discrete investments at discrete points in time. I mean, I always buy three-year-old cars because they get them for half price. <laughs> and they run just as well. Um, it works, and it seems to save me money, and I enjoy the ride just as much. Um, on the tanker side, there is a um, there is pushback against 15-year-olds and, and older, at least on the larger ships, and there's a discount, and that discount's going to vary with you know what what the rate environment is. There's a discount because they consume more fuel, um, but they tend to trade on the shorter routes. I mean, the more fuel-efficient ships tend to go on the longer routes for obvious reasons. So overall, you know, the older ships, when the market's bad, may trade at a discount on a TCE basis at the end of the day, 20, 25%. Um, they have more waiting time, and factoring all that in, it can be as much as 25%. Uh, they're later to fix than, than, than the newer ships. When the market's hot, uh, that discount gets squeezed to, uh, you know, 10, 15%, depending upon how hot the market is. I mean, right now, it's hard to sort out. The VL market's moving up so quickly, it's hard to sort out the noise. Um, it's just almost impossible. It's, it's as I say, it's the, it's the taxi cabs theory. You know, when it's rainy out, you'll take any taxi cab. Um, when it's sunny out, you're not going to take the older one. You just won't because the new one's coming down the pike for the same price. So there's a discount, but our capital cost is very low. Um, we've paid, uh, you know, fractions over scrap for all eight of our V's. We have, we have seven now. We scrapped one. And our, uh, so the, the capital drag, there's no debt service on, on any of them, is, is very low. So we have a lot of operating leverage and no financial leverage, and it seems to suit ourselves and our investors very well. There's, you know, low chance of losing any capital in this environment. Okay. For those of you wondering, Evan is up here for more than just his good looks. Um, <laughs> he is our resident scrapping expert. Uh, so, Evan, uh, VLC scrapping is likely to reach the highest level in 30 years. Uh, can you touch on the drivers there? Also, can you give a brief description of what GMS does on the cash buying business? Sure. Uh, GMS is, is the world's largest cash buyer ships recycling. So we actually acquire vessels from tanker owners, um, take possession of the ship, and then recycle it uh, in different yards throughout the world. It's mostly concentrated in the Indian subcontinent, but you know we do everywhere from the United States uh, straight up through uh, East Asia. Um, when it comes to the, the drivers right now, I think that the largest thing is pretty much the, the decreased rates with the oversupply of tonnage that everyone has talked about. Um, as well as the IMO regulations, we don't think that this has really started to have a huge effect, but it's in the back of people's minds. So it's cer certainly, you know, when, when people are considering uh, having to deal with the low sulfur fuel oil or potentially scrubbers, and they're looking at those types of investments on assets that are 18, 19, 20 years old, it, you know, it, it becomes pretty evident to them that it's time to, to recycle the ships. So we think that that's probably the, the, the largest uh, driver right now. Also, as we have more of these regulations coming in, the older ships with the higher fuel oil consumptions, you know, it doesn't make sense to put these scrubbers on, so they will most likely, in, in larger numbers, uh, start to come more for, uh, for recycling. Okay. Evan, I'm going to add one comment, because we scrapped this ship this past year, and we, have, uh, we had eight older ships. What you find out when you have a 
a large ship is um, a, a large component of the value is in scrap. And, and when the freight market is very low, in, on the V side, you have two very volatile markets. You have the steel market and you have the TCE market. And you can do some quick math and say, this ship has 300 days, 400 days of its life left. The scrap market could drop 100 bucks in that time period. And that's worth $4 million. So do the math, how many, how many dollars per day TCE do I have to bet the market's going to pick up just to break even? And it's, so it's the price of scrap. It's not just the price of scrap, it's the volatility of scrap. If we knew scrap was going to be 400 bucks forever or 450, I wouldn't scrap to the last day. But it's the volatility of the scrap combined with the volatility of the uh, charter market that drives people to scrap early. Absolutely. And, and today, this is something that we look at every day because it's a decision that most owners that we buy from have to make. And it's been at least a year since the economics have made sense even to operate a ship with, you know, one more year left on the certificates and gambling with the high scrap price that's 420, 430, 440, whatever it might be today, everyone knows it's, it's exaggerated, it's too high, eventually it will come down. So that's something it's that I It's not too high. No, yeah. <laughs> is, is that your view, Evan? Yeah. No, but I mean, it, you know, historically it's, it's much higher than, than the averages. So, you know, as that comes down, you, you definitely have to weigh that against the charter market. All right, Evan, let's assume tanker scrapping reaches 20 million W tons this year. What is your forecast for 2019, and how will the Chinese regulations for you know, not allowing foreign ships to come and be scrapped, how will that impact the scrapping business? Well, this year we're ready at about 19.8 million tons on the tanker side alone. So I think that we're most likely going to surpass that 20 million mark. Um, when it comes to VLCCs, just to give you an idea on the crude side, there has been about 34 Vs recycled so far this year. That works out to be between 9 10 million tons. So by, by example, the last time that we've seen these types of numbers being recycled was between 99 and 2003. The previous peak before that was back in the mid-80s when we actually saw about 64 or 65 VLCCs recycled per year. So that, that alone equated about 19 or 20 million dead weight which is about the total number of tankers today, or twice the number of VLCCs being recycled today. So, you know, th this is something that, uh, you know, going forward, we see that there's about 65 VLCCs right now that are overaged, built in 2000 or before, uh, th that are gonna be in the market uh, next year and very well could become uh, potential de demo candidates. All right, Lois, International Seaways has mm -hmm. a few VLCCs built 2001, mm -hmm. 2003. Um, knowing that Bob has an affinity for these kind of um, good value ships, uh, are you interested in selling those? Bob, are you interested in buying these, or, or do we need are you, Evan? Broke, to are you a broker, or what's going on? Yeah, are you on getting one this? and a quarter percent? Yeah, or, or do we need Evan to look for, for scrapping? Yeah, you, you know, it's interesting because. Um, you know, while we have invested in, you know, very new vessels, we also have very well-maintained, you know, ships. We had five, now we have three VLCCs that are um, over 15 years old. And, you know, we, we look at that, every ship on a discounted cash flow basis, and it has to earn its keep, right? So, you know, we look at what can we sell it to Evan at, um, you know, what can we earn in the marketplace? And, you know, it, th there are factors. I mean, I definitely believe that the, the older Vs can um, earn a living, particularly if uh, the oil curve goes into contango. But um, until that time, I think there's actually four factors. You know, some of the, you know, the 15 plus Vs are less economical from an engine perspective. So they're burning 10 to 15 tons per day, easily more than, you know, your new Echo vessels. Um, you have to put them into dry dock every two and a half years, so you're looking at two and a half million dollars every two and a half years. Um, 
you probably have not yet put in a ballast water treatment system because that whole um, implementation of regulation got pushed out, and then you're going to look at a scrubber. So, you know, there's there's a lot of um, capex that has to go into those decisions. So, um, you know, we've struck a balance with selling a couple of older ships, and 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 the others um, we look at uh, could potentially uh, earn quite well when the market comes into itself. Okay. Harris, you brought up. Go ahead, Bob. No, you asked if I wanted to buy them. With the, yeah. the older ships we bought had just passed their third special when we bought them, and they were great pedigree. They were frontline. They were um, uh, DHT and Euronav, so we like the vessels themselves. And uh, none of them need ballast water treatment system, so we're clear there. Uh, and scrubbers don't make sense for them, they only have a year or so left. And we got them through spe the last special, because they were well maintained before we got them for a million and a half dollars. Uh, but Lois is right, I mean, your options run out as it gets older. Um, but we wouldn't buy ships that are just a year or two left. Okay. Harris, looking at supply, you know, there's been 56 VOCCs ordered 2017, or the 38 been ordered this year. Current order book's about 107 new building VOCCs at 16 different shipyards. So how many of these shipyards are still taking orders? And if you were to order a, a new building VOCC or Suez Max, when could you get it? Uh, well, I think the, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the Far Eastern yards have maxed out. Uh, even if you place an order today, you're looking, you know, two years uh, uh, down the line, uh, you know, uh, so uh, I don't think there is uh, other than uh, than uh, the price uh, element. There is no other incentive of uh, ordering uh, today, in order to get the benefit of uh, of uh, the up market. So uh, uh, if somebody wants uh, to you know to expand into the, into the VLs, for example, uh, it's better to to look at a resale rather than uh, place a new order. Now, everyone's talking about IMO 2020, so I don't want to, you know, have you all feel left out. Um, Bob, what are, your, what are your thoughts on this? Generally speaking, do you love it? Do you hate it? Is it yes, overblown? Yes, is it yes, a, yes, yes. Is it a big deal? Well, we love it and we hate it. Um, it, it is a big deal. Um, I mean, the scrubber issue, I'm sure we talked about it. My quick view on scrubbers, a lot of VL people will have them, and the VL market may unfortunately price to a VL scrubber market, which means the traders take, everyone just had to spend a lot of money to keep up. On the Suez's, less people are ordering them. It could be an advantage in some cases. Uh, Afras, you know, it's sort, of, it's sort of a push. So if you buy them, you'll probably get a good spread, but they don't consume as much as the Suez. On the MRs, I find it hard to make sense. I think um, a lot more distillate will move. As we've all heard a million times, we burn about 4 million tons a day in bunkers, which is 4% of the consumption of the oil in the world, and we need about 3 million tons of distillate, which means a lot more crude has to be pushed through the system, a lot more distillate has to move. It should be good for MRs. It shouldn't be bad for Vs. Um, there'll be a lot of disruption, and anything that's disruptive is great for shipping. I mean, the, the transportation system is so efficient these days that, you know, we know how many cargoes move out of the Gulf every, every day, every minute, every, every, every week. And um, we know when it changes a little bit. So if you look at a total disruption in the transportation system, uh, disruption causes inefficiency. Inefficiency is good for shipping. Okay. Lois, you've 60 ordered. 60 seconds or less. Great. Lois, you've ordered uh, seven, v seven mm -hmm. scrubbers for your Vs. Mm -hmm. uh, right. Some options for a few more. Have you thought about scrubbers for some of the smaller tanker kind of asset classes? And then if you can touch a little more on kind of demand drivers for IMO 2020. Is it new routes? Um, I think the product right. tanker trade, it's pretty easy to see the demand impact there. But what about on the crude side? Uh, so, you know, just touching on the scrubbers, you know, for, for us, because we do have, you know, everything from Vs down to MRs, you know, obviously going for our largest consumers, um, you know, being in Tankers International is really the premier pool and, and looking at um, 
you know, if you assume 50, 60 tons a day on a V, and uh, let's just say the ARB is 300 dollars per ton, it's been 250 on average for the last 12 years, you're looking at $18,000 a day on a VLCC. It's very compelling, right? So um, if everybody puts scrubbers on, then uh, it's just status quo. So it, it's, it's interesting, you know, we've taken a balanced approach on the smaller vessels. It becomes like if you take an MR for us, you know, you're moving into West Africa, Argentina, Peru, um, they may or may not have both heavy sulfur and light sulfur uh, available. Um, in the bigger ships, you're calling a lot fewer ports. You know that you're gonna be able to get your heavy sulfur fuel. Mm -hmm. um, so we've kind of looked at it from a portfolio approach. And I guess what I would say is we study, um, you know, we move oil, we study the business of, of refining. Um, you know, if you look at it and you say, well, light, sweet, crude should be more valuable, maybe you'll see a lot more of that move out of the Gulf instead of being shoved into the complex refineries. and. Maybe they'll bring more crude from the Middle East where, you know, it's heavier and you're going to have it more discounted. So you could see uh, refineries redo their slate and that should cause more disruption, more inefficiency, and that's good for us. So I think on the crude side, it, it's also a positive. Evan, you want to touch on the IMO 2020 impacts on supply, increased scrapping. I think you mentioned that. Um, maybe fleet slowdown. Absolutely. I mean, when the LSFO, when the, when the price goes up, which... It's just a question of how much it goes up. If it's $150, $200, $300 a ton, you're going to see more slow steaming if the ships can go slower than they are right now. Um, and, you know, you're, you're also going to see um, just an increase in the recycling, as we touched on earlier, because there's, without a question, even though I don't think you're going to see a massive calling of the fleet, you're absolutely going to have those owners who are kind of marginally thinking about whether or not they're going to pass the ship or not through a survey are going to decide to recycle the vessel. So without a question, you will see somewhat of a reduction in the fleet, and I think overall that'll, that, that'll help the, uh, the, the charter rates, even with the new buildings on order. Using our last two minutes here, if, if I, or maybe not me, but an investor uh, gave you $100 million, what would you do with it? Buy secondhand vessels, pay down some debt, order scrubbers, and if buying secondhand vessels is your answer, give me like a, a sector, an asset class. Harris. Uh, <laughs> well, I would, uh, $100 million, I would probably uh, buy uh, a VL resale today. Uh, if I cannot find one, then I'm going to pay back some of my prefs. Fair. Bob Burke. <laughs> <laughs> well, we own ships, so I buy $100 million of Apple stock. So, <laughs> what would Ridge very <laughs> <tankers> diversification. <laughs> we're going to go, we're going to give you another sec option. Sec second, second hand MRs. Second hand MRs. Good call. Um, you know, maybe take a, a portion of that and not quite half and, and pay down some of our debt. And then I would take uh, the other part and uh, invest it in um, somewhere, e either uh, Aframax or Suez Max. I would probably look for 15-year-old VLCCs, probably buy two or three of them and outfit them with a scrubber. And operate them for a few years. Operate them for a few years. That, that, that's not good for your business. But <laughs> it, it does. Eventually, they all come to us. You know? so, <laughs> we're like the Grim Reaper here. So if, if you operate it, <laughs> if, if you operate the ship, you know you write down the cost of the scrubber. You write down the cost of the V to, to recycling. It's a, it's a pretty good deal. So. Randy, what would you buy? Good question. Um, I like the five to seven year VLCCs. Put some scrubbers on it. And I have a few equities I would buy, but for those, you'll have to contact me. You can call me or email me, rgivens at jeffries.com. All right, that's it. That's all our time. Thank you so much, panel. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>